Welcome to Built to Go, a van life podcast. I'm your host, Jeff Wagg, coming to you from the College of Curiosity. This time it's episode 140, and we're going to talk about everybody's favorite topic composting toilets. Or is that composting toilets? I, I, I'll just switch. I don't know. We're also going to talk about mice and not the kind you use with your computer, a tale from the road involving a very strange bathroom, and a product review of a microwave oven that might be perfect for your van. Hello everyone, welcome back. Very glad to be here with you and thank you for continuing to listen to me ramble every week. I have a problem. And I've been doing research to try to solve that problem. And that problem is with my Tiki Bago, the 1972 Winnebago Indian D22 that I have parked on some property in Illinois that I've been spending more time with than my van lately. The problem is that it's a traditional RV where it has a toilet with a black tank. And there are benefits to that if you're in a, an RV and you're driving around the country, it isn't that big of a deal to find a dump station and empty your black tank, and you can certainly hold a lot of waste that way. But the Tiki Bago doesn't move. It's sitting there on my property, and it may never move ever again, which is kind of sad, but it's also kind of good because, well, it's getting used. So the black tank situation is such that I can't move the Tiki Bago, so I have to move the contents of the black tank. And I have this system set up that's really cumbersome, but I have one of those blue boys. It's a very large container on wheels. I empty the black tank into that, and then I bring that to my van. I have a rack that goes on the hitch. I wheel it up the rack, and I drive it up the hill to the Loves, which has a dump station that's conveniently right by the place. And I deal with it there, and it costs me 10 bucks. But it's a pain in the butt. The 10 bucks is is fine. It's that this thing weighs a lot. It's it's like 40 gallons of waste and you can do the math at about 8 pounds per gallon. Uh yeah, it's a lot. It's a hassle. It's very unpleasant and we're looking for other solutions like can we install a septic system? All right, that's $10,000 at least and takes a lot of time and is very disruptive. What else can we do? So we end up with the same problem that all van life people have is uh, what do you do with your waste? And there are a number of solutions. I've tried many of them. But one thing I haven't actually tried is a composting toilet. Now, like solar generators, composting toilets have a problem in their name. And that is that none of them, none of them actually compost waste. They don't do it. How do I know this? For a fact, because it takes at least six months to compost human waste under ideal conditions, and nobody's holding their stuff that long. No, it's true. Now, what some of them do is set you up so that you are ready to compost that waste. I'm going to say compost from now on. I can't stand switching back and forth. Some of them set you up to do that, but you still need to do it, and that means you need to find a place that you can dump your waste, basically. Now, for most of us on the road, those places simply don't exist. It is not cool to go out in the woods and just dump the contents of your composting toilet out there. That's really not much different than just putting it there to begin with. So, so what's the deal? Well, all right. Ignore the word composting toilet. What we're actually talking about here is a system that diverts urine from waste and then stores them separately. That's what these things do. 
And when you do that, some good things happen. Most of the odor from waste comes from the nitrogen in urine interacting with the bacteria in the waste. That's what produces a lot of the gases and the smell and the offensiveness. So it turns out that if you separate those two, if you can keep your urine away from your solid waste, you'll have far fewer problems there. And the way most of these toilets work is that they have a bucket on the front and the solids containers in the back and... As you sit down on them, and you have to sit down on them, urine will go to the front and solid waste will go to the back. For men and women, women have a little bit more difficulty with this than men, but it is certainly doable, and a lot of women say it's actually rather natural. And then you empty those containers separately. And this is where the interesting part happens. So you have this urine container that you need to empty once in a while, and it depends on how much you use it, of course. So it might be every day, it might be once a week, how big it is, how many people, etc., etc. And urine is sterile. Uh, you can pretty much treat it like wastewater from your sink. It does have odors, and you don't want to necessarily dump it all in one place. And yeah, but you're not going to, like, kill anybody with it so you can treat that any way you'd like you can put it in a toilet you can dump it down a drain but again you're, you're dealing with a whole large quantity of urine here and that can have problems if you dump it on a flower bed for example well you've just introduced a whole lot of nitrogen and other chemicals into that flower bed and the flower bed may not appreciate it urine isn't the fertilizer that people think it is at least when it's untreated Okay, and then there's a solid waste. What do you do with that? Well, most people bag it up and throw it in the trash. And then there's the, oh, no, you can't put human waste in the trash. And I'm like, well, yeah, we do it all the time. It's called diapers. Or we do it with doggy bags, you know, those little green bags. Doggy bags used to mean something different when I was a kid. but mm. uh, Or cat litter. Or, you know, yes, folks, if you're diving in dumpsters, yeah, you're going to encounter some manure in there because that's where people put it. So that's not that big of a problem. So right away... What we're basically talking about here is a fancy bucket. Yes, that's what a composting toilet is. It's a fancy bucket. And people have gotten really offended at me saying that. But it, it's true. If you have a composting toilet, you have a bucket that separates urine from solid waste, and then you throw those away. That's the truth. Now, it's a little bit more sophisticated than that, of course. This bucket will have a fan. And that fan serves two very important purposes. The first is that it will exhaust any bad odor from the solids part of the containment system. And that constant flow of air will also desiccate the solid waste. It dries it out so that it becomes even less offensive. Uh, and, and that's how it works. I mean, that's, that's basically the whole thing. Why these things cost $1,000... I'm not sure. And yes, you can make your own. There are some companies that sell basically diverting lids for buckets. So you can get your Home Depot bucket and put one of these lids on it, and then it'll separate the things. And that's the main advantage of these things. Now, in my case, being stationary, we can actually compost the waste. We can totally have a compost pile on our property, and some brands sell bags where basically all your solids go into this bag and you tie it up and the bag itself is compostable. So you just have to toss it on the pile. 
and make sure nobody's messing with it. Because again, this is six months to a year for that stuff to turn into soil, basically. But I mean, and the danger here is that you're trying to kill pathogens. Human waste often contains pathogens that can make people sick, and it takes six months to a year for them all to be destroyed. That's your goal. Okay, so now that that's all out there on the table, what have I learned from my research? I'm going to talk about two of the biggest names in this industry. One is the nature's head. That's the one you hear about all the time. And the other is the separate system from Sweden. Now, the nature's head is an interesting looking thing. It, it, it has levers and a big wheel and it has a visible urine tank, which some people don't like is that you can actually see the urine, which is in many ways good because that's how you can tell it won't overflow. And that system works just like I described, but you add a medium to the solids. You add sawdust or coconut cores, it's called, or sphagnum moss or something like that. And then every time you use it, there's this crank that you crank up and it basically mixes everything up. When that solids section fills up, you're, you're left with this kind of mixed up earthy kind of a substance that's not quite as offensive as just straight waste. And then you throw it in the trash. <laughs> I mean, you can compost that. You're just not going to find a place to do it. Most public composting bins do not want human waste in there. And they will actually say, no, 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 no. And that's because people might try to take soil from the compost before the six months is up. And it's just not safe. We will be able to control that. So the nature's heads are expensive, but as far as installing them, they're not that tricky. You basically just need a space to put the thing, uh, but there's no plumbing. You don't have any plumbing to worry about. You do have electrical to worry about because I mentioned that fan and that fan has to be on all the time. If you're using that toilet, you need to have that fan on constantly. The only time you'll turn it off is if you're not using the system. Like if you've winterized your van and you've put it away, that's the only time you turn it off. So you do need to have some electrical capacity for that. It's not that much. It's just a little muffin fan as they call them, but it's still, it's something. So you can't ever let your batteries die or you're going to have a problem because all that stuff that was getting sucked out is suddenly being brought into your van. So that's it. You basically set this thing down, you mount it to the floor, and you have this one electrical connection. And of course, you need to install a vent. Now you can vent these through the bottom of the van, through the side of the van, or through the roof. And the only issue with those is ease and where the odors are going to go. If you do the bottom of your van, well, those odors are going to go wherever they want. And you might end up with this miasma of smell around your van. That's not so cool. If you go through the side of the van, yeah, if you're over there by that side of the van, you're going to get a whiff now and then. It's better to go through the roof, and that's not always practical. And it also uh, requires a stronger fan in some cases, because the longer the distance of your pipe, the more fan you need. Uh, but that's going to get it away from you as much as possible. Now, in, in the Tiki Bago, I've already got a sewer vent that goes through the roof, and that's what I'm going to use. Now, I like this other system better than the Nature's Head. And the Air Head, if you've heard of that, is similar to the Nature's Head. This other system is by a Swedish company called Separet. The toilet looks more like a toilet. And the way it works is a little bit different. When you lift up the lid, you can't see anything that's in there. All you see is this flap. But when you sit on the seat, this flap opens and then you do your business. And then when you stand up, the flap closes again. So you never actually have to see your stuff except when you're emptying it. 
the wastes go in different places. You have an option with the separate that the urine can go not to a bottle, but to a pipe outside of your vehicle. Now in a van, I'm not going to recommend this. Do not just let your urine flow out of the van. That's not good. But in some circumstances like mine, it can be good because I have a black tank in my Tiki Bago and I can actually have the urine go into the black tank rather than in the little tank that comes with it. And that gives me a lot of options for getting rid of the urine. I could even set up some sort of a system where the urine flows directly into the ground, where I have a pit filled with gravel or something like that. That's just because I'm stationary. Most of you will not have that option. But even the solid side is different. And the separate system, when you use the solid side, it goes into a bag, directly into a bag. There's no medium, there's no storage. You don't have to carry around big bales of sawdust with you. And then when it's full, all you have to do is lift up the sides of the bag, tie them up, and then you've either got a bag of trash or a bag of compost, depending on how you deal with it. And if you're just going to throw it in the trash anyway, you can use any old bag that will fit. It's a 30 liter size bag. You can use any hefty bag or whatever, and you don't have to worry about running out of those compostable bags. So I am leaning toward that system, and it's also a bit cheaper than an airhead. So I think we're going to do this. I haven't really decided yet. And if we do, I will definitely uh, tell you how that goes. So um, bottom line for this is that, yeah, these toilets can be convenient for van life. Ultimately, they're really just buckets. I mean, you could kind of simulate the same thing for about 60 bucks, but it won't be quite as comfortable and it won't have as neat a finished look as these can. And... Um, I don't know. I, I think they're, the problem with them is mostly that they're expensive. I think that for 100 bucks you can get a regular old camping toilet and have maybe 70% of the convenience of one of these. So I don't know. It's a personal decision, but that's where I'm at on it. We will probably be getting the separate, and I will let you know. And if any of you have experience with them, you know, please feel free to chime in. I'm happy to hear. I've watched a lot of YouTube videos about it, and some of them are pretty graphic. You have been warned. Tech Talk. We have, it's happened, folks. We knew it was going to happen. When you leave a vehicle in a nature-y area long enough, eventually you're going to have mice. It's kind of inevitable. It's happened to me a few times now, and as predicted, yes, we have mice in the Tiki Bago. And I found out that mice really love creamer. I had some of that ultra-pasteurized creamer in those little cups in a box on a shelf as high as you can possibly get in the Tiki Bago, and I went to take one out, and the box just disintegrated, and all these chewed-up cups of milk just kind of tumbled out. So, yeah, mice are bad. You don't want mice in your van. They're cute and everything, but they are capable of causing some serious damage. So they need to be dealt with. So how do you get rid of mice? Well, it's a maximum of mine that if there are a thousand solutions for something, there are actually no solutions for it. And I'm afraid that's true for mice as well. Oh, you can use peppermint oil or ivory spring or Uncle Gus's secret recipe. And there's nine million different things you can do to get rid of mice. And what you will find is that 
they all kind of sort of work a little bit, but none of them are surefire. And that's why there's so many of them. So we have a have a heart trap. That is a trap that captures the animal alive. Have a heart's actually a brand, but you get the concept. It's a little tiny thing. And um, I put some nuts in there and I did catch one mouse that way. Unfortunately, um, I didn't know it, and the mouse was in there long enough to expire, and that was very unpleasant. So those have-a-heart traps need to be checked very often, else you're creating actually kind of a cruel way for the mouse to die. Uh, And then you've got two other options that have good success rates. One is your plain old regular mousetrap. I, yeah, I mean, people have been trying to improve the mousetrap since as long as I've been alive, but, you know, they're pretty good. If you put a little bit of peanut butter on there, they don't like cheese so much, that's a myth, they love peanut butter. Put a little peanut butter on there, and when they activate that trigger, they're instantly dead. I mean, most of the time, their neck is broken and they're dead instantly, it's the least amount of pain. So, yeah, I may end up going that route. And, of course, you still have the problem of then you've got this dead mouse that will start to rot and stink and attract flies very quickly, so you still need to check on it. The other thing you can do, and this is what people do for long-term solutions, like you're leaving your van for storage and you're not going to be able to check on it every day, is warfarin, which is a poison. It's also a a medicine. It's a blood thinner, and uh, it's commonly called decon, and it's these, you know, either blue pellets or blue blocks and the mice eat them and then what happens is their blood thins to such an extent that they become incredibly thirsty and that drives them out of the van in search of water and then they die in the wilderness and theoretically this is a first generation poison meaning that because the mouse has digested the poison if something else eats the mouse it won't affect them in theory Yeah, poisons are are tricky, and um, I have mixed feelings about this method. First off, I mean, I don't like killing anything to begin with. Let's just get that out there. If I could capture all the mice and send them off somewhere else, like, hey, the Tiki Bay goes on a river. I have this thought of, like, capturing the mice and setting them adrift on a little boat so they can find new horizons, maybe down in St. Louis somewhere. Uh, But that's just not reality. And the damage they can cause is such that it's a problem that needs to be dealt with. So... I may end up doing decon in the winter. I really don't like the idea. And you run the risk that the thirsty mouse doesn't actually leave. It just crawls somewhere up in the wall and then dies in there. And that is very, very unpleasant. So bottom line, if you've got mice, you've got to deal with them. You can try to seal up all the holes in the world. Mice can squeeze through a hole the size of a dime. They're probably going to find a way in best advice I have to avoid mice is to move often. Move your vehicle often. And I I don't have that option. So anyway, I hope you don't get mice. But if you do, that's kind of where you're at. Product review. Okay, I'm going to do it again. I'm going to review a product I haven't actually seen, but I saw this product and thought I should mention it. Uh, A while ago, I did a video about microwaves in vans. And yeah, you can have a microwave in your van. It's, It's not breaking any rules. And sure, they use a lot of power, but they don't use it for very long. So it's not like an air conditioner where this thing's going to be running for hours and hours and hours. It's going to be running for five, ten minutes. So yeah, you can totally do this with a 200 amp hour battery and a 2000 watt inverter you you can have a microwave 
But do you want one? They take up a lot of space, a lot of people don't use them, etc, etc. So this is for those of you who want to use them. And the microwave I've always recommended is the Commercial Chef 600 watt microwave that you can get on Amazon. It uses the lowest power. And microwaves use power weird. You can't turn them down. They're always going full blast. All they do is time slice. If you set it on 50%, that means it turns on 50% of the time. So it's still going to use the same amount of power. With the exception of the Panasonic inverter microwaves, that's a whole other thing. It has nothing to do with your inverter. It's complicated. But let's ignore that for now. That's a, that's a different conversation. Let's just talk about this microwave I found. This is by Whirlpool, and it doesn't seem to have a model name. It's called the Whirlpool Countertop Microwave. And what's unique about this microwave is its size. Um, if you're familiar with movies, you know, there's full frame, that's 4 by 3 where the movie's kind of square. And then there's letterbox movies or 16 by 9 where they take up the whole screen these days because screens aren't square anymore. Well, this thing's square. This is a full frame microwave. It's, a, it's not a rectangle. It's it's a box and the back of it is rounded so it will fit in strange places which many of us have in our vans it'll go in a corner and basically it's it's a 0.5 cubic foot microwave it's very small and that's what makes it appealing for van life it's also only 750 watts now you, that doesn't mean you can run it on a 750-watt inverter. In fact, I don't think you'll be able to run it on a 1,000-watt inverter. There are surges. There are tolerances. So you're looking at a 1,500 to 2,000-watt inverter to run this thing. But it's totally doable. So I'll have a link to this one in the show notes. It's kind of crazy expensive. It's like 330 bucks. But sometimes space is worth it. It may be worth it for someone that this might be exactly the microwave they want because it'll fit exactly where they want it. I can tell you one thing. This would be a good microwave to put under a sink. Because of its shape, there are going to be corners that leave space for pipes. And that might just be the perfect thing for somebody. The Whirlpool Countertop Microwave. Tales from the Rood. I don't think this place exists anymore, but it might. I, I can't find any reference to it. In Tyson's Corner, Virginia, which used to be this little tiny place and now is huge, I used to live there. I used to live around the corner in McLean, Virginia, and I used to work at America Online when it was in Tyson's Corner way back in the early days. I was employee number like 400 at America Online, and when I left, I think there were 80,000 when you included Time Warner and all that. Anyway, there was a restaurant we used to go to in the mall called American Cafe or America or something like that. It was a big, huge restaurant. This was not like a food court place. It was a giant sit-down place. It was like a, a, a staple of the mall. And it was pretty good food, and uh, it was fine. It was a good place to meet after work and stuff like that. But it had this really weird bathroom. It was kind of a European-style bathroom. And I first time I went in there, I was like, wow, this is great. Now, for those of you who haven't traveled out of the United States or haven't traveled into the United States, depending on where you live, there are vast differences in public restrooms. And yeah, I'm not talking about Asia. They have a totally different toilet system. No, I'm talking about like saying going to Germany versus the U.S. In the U.S., we have these weird stalls that aren't terribly private. They're usually metal and there's a big gap on the floor of like a couple feet. And then you can see through the seams it's, it's a little weird. It's, they're just not very private. And this helps you determine if somebody's actually sitting in the toilet so it's, you know it's used. Uh, but otherwise, it's just kind of weird. There's speculation that the reason it's like this is that it makes it easier to mop. You don't have walls to deal with. Um, it also 
helps with people like living in toilets, which can be a problem when there's a lot of homelessness. And then, then in Europe, the toilets are much more private. Just like you have your own little private room with the stall in there. And, uh, that's what this restaurant had. Every toilet stall was like this nice little private room. And, um, it's just cozy. Um, <laughs> but then the urinals, yeah, the urinals. So for any women listening, you may have encountered urinals. You may not. They're simply these things against the wall that men pee into or on, or at least near, depending on the night and how much one has had to drink. Sometimes they're filled with ice, which is always fun. That's a whole other side story. But at this particular restaurant, the urinals were on a half wall. They weren't on an a full wall, which is normal. They were on a half wall, which means you could see over the half wall. And you might think, well, what are you looking at? Is there a window to the outside? Well, no. What was on the other side of the half wall were the sinks. So the effect of this was that when you use these urinals, you would come face to face with somebody who was washing their hands. They're washing their hands, you're creating a reason to wash your hands, and you'd just be kind of like, hi, hi there, how are you today? Very awkward moment in a place where lots of awkward moments happen. Just strange. And then I realized what was even stranger about this was, on their side, they had a trickle of water coming out of the faucet, and on your side you were creating a trickle of mostly water. And the effect was that those two streams were linked and that you were producing the water they were using to wash their hands. You weren't, of course, but that was the effect. That's what it seemed like. And you're doing this while you're face-to-face -face with that person. I don't know if this was on purpose, if it was a joke, or if it's still like that. I've never seen another bathroom like this. I kind of feel like they forgot to put up big mirrors or something that were supposed to block in between. I don't know. But I do know that no matter what I needed to do in that bathroom, I always went to the nice, comfy stalls. A place to visit. Look at this, another place I've never been. This is a bucket list place for me. It's someplace I've always wanted to go and I've seen it from the air, but I've never actually been there. And it is called Wizard Island. I mean, with a name like Wizard Island, how can you not want to go visit it? Wizard Island is fascinating. Wizard Island is a volcano. Okay, there's lots of volcanoes, but it's a volcano inside another volcano. <laughs> Many, 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 many thousands of years ago, this giant volcano basically blew its top and created this big crater, and then that crater filled with water, and it became called, haha, Crater Lake, which is in central, south-central Oregon, about maybe more to the east. Crater Lake is massive. It's this enormous lake. It's incredibly deep. And then at some point, thousands of years ago, another volcano erupted inside the crater and came up and formed Wizard Island. So the whole place is kind of steeped in lore. It's hard to get to, but you can visit it. What you do is you drive out there and you go to the visitor center, and then they have tours that will take you by boat out to Wizard Island, and you get to spend three hours on the island. It's very steep. This is a place that is not comfortable for people with fear of heights, and you definitely want to bring a lot of water and your hiking boots and get ready for a rugged day. 
But you're going to have an amazing experience from everything I've read. Everybody who has gone there loves this place. However, this is a very snowy part of the country. And as late as July 15th, it is sometimes closed for snow. So you have to plan your trip carefully. I was out there in May once and found out that it was closed because of snow. But even as late as July, you have to check. However, it is an experience and you just get to say the you went to Wizard Island. I mean, that's worth a lot right there. So I'll have a link in the show notes to check it out if you've never heard of Wizard Island. Yeah, go visit. And go visit Crater Lake and all of that whole part of Oregon because it is a treasure. Resource recommendation. So I got a message in the Discord channel that somebody had given me a plug in their YouTube channel, which was very nice. This doesn't happen very often, and this gentleman was super nice to me, and he got me thinking not only about reciprocal posts, like, you like mine, I like yours, you know, which I'm going to do unashamedly, but also his van... Well, I'm getting ahead of myself. Gentleman's name is Luke. He lives in Finland. And he built his van in such a way that it's a mobile office. Now, he also cooks in there. He can sleep in there. But its primary function was a mobile office. And that got me thinking, when you're building out your van, you really need to consider what its most important purpose is. Now, for many of us, that's going to be sleeping, and I've often said that you need to start with the bed, you need to have a comfortable place to sleep, and everything else is less important. But that may not be true for you. It might be that you're going to use your van mostly during the day. I mean, maybe you're going to sleep in a tent at night so you have more space, and then the van is like a support center for the tent. Or maybe you are going to use your van as an office, like he is. And he has this massive setup with multiple monitors and all kinds of controls, and It looked really nice to me. Like, I would rather be in his van recording this podcast right now than sitting at my desk in my enormous, by van standards, office. And so when you're building out your van, before you look at layouts and decide, you know, oh, I want this, I want that, isn't that pretty? Put all that aside for a second and take a moment and say, what do I want to do most in this van? If you're going to create a YouTube channel, let me tell you, video editing is going to be something you're going to be doing a lot in your van. So spend time on your layout figuring out how you're going to do that, how you're going to be comfortable. Because you may want to sleep in your office rather than work in your bedroom. Just think about it. I don't have any real recommendations there. I'm just saying that as a resource, take a look at Luke's video that I have linked in the show notes. And it's a, it's a nice slice of life video. He's out there in the rain in Finland making some soup in his van and showing off his workspace. That might show you the potential of optimizing your van for what you're going to do rather than copying someone else's layout because it looked good on Instagram. Anyway, Luke, thanks so much for the shout-out. I really appreciate it, and I am now a subscriber, and I've liked your video, and I will like some more in the future. For the rest of you, there's a link in the show notes to this video. It's called My Mobile Office by Luke Bland. You can also just search for that on YouTube. Well, folks, thank you very much for joining us for this episode 140. We invite you to join us in Facebook on the Facebook group, which is Built to Go, a Facebook group, or on Discord, which is Built to Go, a Discord server. Imagine that. Music, as always, is by Simon Wagg. Until next time, remember the words of Ivan Batuta. Traveling. It leaves you speechless, then turns you into a storyteller. <laughs>